The title of the message this morning is Making a Difference, and um, this past week I had this email sent to me, and I thought I'd just open with it. It's written by Rick Warren, who is the uh, pastor at Saddleback Church. He said, God has given every believer in every one of our churches a mission to go into the world and share the good news about Jesus. Why? Why should we care enough about the people around us to tell them about how to get to heaven? Well, everybody matters to God. God has never made a person that he didn't love. God made some people that I don't love. And God has made a lot of people I don't even like. But God loves them. And the most despicable person who can imagine is still loved by God. And because God cares, we must care. Some people say, I don't need to tell people. My witness is my life. Do you realize what an ego trip that is? Even Jesus had to tell them how to be saved. And he was perfect. Well, they may not know why you're good. We say, my witness is my life. That means you just walk in the room and people look at you and automatically fall on their face and repent and accept Christ. I doubt it. We've got to tell them. We've got to tell them. Amen. Well, week one, we talked about in terms of why we are here in the book of Ephesians. We said we are here to get to know God, not just know about God. And then the second week, we talked about getting in the game, about how we're as workmanship. We're created to make a difference is basically where we came from that week. And week three, we talked about how important it is to comprehend the love of Christ. That's one of the reasons why we're here is to really know and experience the love of Jesus in our lives and to give that experience to somebody else. And then last week, we talked about bringing your gift to the table, finding out what position you play in the team and getting involved, getting connected, and making a difference that way. But this week, we're going to talk about making a difference. And the big thought that I want to share with you today is we've been placed here to make a difference by being different. What does that look like? Well, Paul kind of describes the essence of what difference it makes when we know Christ based upon the way we were and what we are today. So follow along in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 17, and he begins to distinguish the differences of before Christ and after Christ. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with continued lust for more. Pretty good indictment on our culture today, right? You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood And speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. You know, Paul is drawing a contrast to the Ephesian believers saying, you know, this is where you were and this is where you should be. This is where you are. And let's get that straight. You know, when Paul has been t- dealing all a lot with who we are in Christ, as he did in chapter 1, and then he kind of builds on the doctrinal issues of our identity in Christ and what we were made for and so on and so forth. And now he's getting down in nitty- the nitty-gritty of this is how you're supposed to live your life. And it better make a difference. It better not be different in the sense weird or, or intolerant or prejudiced or bigoted. He's saying, I want you to be different so that you are uniquely drawing people to Christ himself. So he talks about the way we were in verses 17 through 19. And, he, and the first principle I want to share with you is that before Christ, we operated our lives in the futility of our own thinking. He says, before we knew Christ, there was this ability for us to kind of allow things to be absorbed only through our own intellect without our spiritual eyes on. And consequently, we are futile in those kinds of, that kinds of thinking. Why? And well, he describes why in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 20. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20 and 25, where he says, Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. He said, up to this point, before Christ, you were just thinking futilely because you couldn't think with your spiritual eyes on. So you were only thinking in terms of your own human intellect and your own logic, and God is much bigger than that. And so it's totally futile for you to truly consider that uh, before before you knew Christ. And now that you have Christ, you have the mind of Christ, so now you have a greater perception of what truth really looks like. So in verse 19, he also describes the way we were as people who had lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and a continual lust for more. He's saying, you know, we've just become totally into our own flesh, our own egos, our own self-satisfaction. And that's the way we were. And frankly, that's the way culture is today, right? That's the society we live in. It's messed up. And he says their conscience has been so seared that they no longer even are sensitive to what real values and truth is. And so we can see that with various situations in our culture today with the shootings that are going on on the campuses and around around the country. We can see it, uh, whether it's in Planned Parenthood or wherever you want to go, it just seems like we have totally lost our moorings and our sensitivity. And that's the way he says you were. But we're to be different. There's something to be different about us. What are we? Well, Paul begins to describe this by saying, principle number two that I want to share with you, we have been recreated to think differently. See, when you came to Christ, you were supposed to change the way you think. Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. For by, he says, by the grace given to me, I say, every one of you, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to rather think of yourself with sober judgment. So what has man done in our culture today? They've think more highly of themselves than they ought to think, rather than seeing the perspective of how does God think about us? And so the way we change our thinking is that what does God think about us? In other words, we need to have a biblical worldview, which comes from this book, 
to say, this is how God thinks about me, and I need to start thinking differently in my own mind. And what does that look like? In verse 21, he says, accordance with truth. We need to start thinking in the area and traffic in the area of truth in our lives. In Philippians chapter 4, 8, you remember, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about this stuff. So our thinking needs to change when we come to Christ. And my question to you this morning might be is, how has your thinking changed since you've been transformed by Christ? How do you think differently? So he's saying here that the way we need to think is to think in the area of truth, and the truth comes from God's holy word. So the third point of my outline this morning is this. Given those truths, given those basics that we're supposed to think differently, he says now, he says, I'm going to give you some practical ways to start figuring out what you need to put off or what not to wear. Now, I confess to you this morning, I did watch an episode of What Not to Wear. Has anybody watched that show on TLC? Are any of you men going to admit that you watched What Not to Wear? There were guys in the first service. I'm so grateful because I I didn't think I was that weird. But I did happen to watch an episode of What Not to Wear. And let me explain to you what goes on there. There's usually some gal who has been dressing either provocatively or with, you know, this real dowdy dressing. And, and so her, her, she just needs a makeover. And so consequently, either some close friends or relatives recommend her for this show called What Not to Wear so that they can give her a brand new war robe and give her a complete and wonderful makeover. And so it's kind of interesting. And so the gal reluctantly takes on the challenge and they give her $5,000 to buy a whole new wardrobe. Now, that wouldn't be too bad for some of you gals. It might be kind of cool, actually. But what's interesting is, is they go through her old wardrobe. And when they go through the old wardrobe, they have a trash can right there on the set and they start throwing all of her clothes, her old clothes into the wardrobe, into the trash can. Because they're saying, you are never going to wear this again, okay? And so then they give him this $5,000 to go out and shop for a new wardrobe, which, is, uh, which coincides with these fashion experts so that they can be this, quote, brand new person with a whole new makeup. And what's fascinating is at the end of the show, the gal always says, you know, you know, my, my life is different. You know, I'm so different and I have so much more confidence and so on and so forth. Well, as I thought about what Paul is going to write to us about, it's basically what he's saying here is you need to put off this. And it's almost like this idea of disrobing or taking off a particular clothing item. And so I thought, this is really cool what Paul is telling us to do. Because he said, if we're going to be different, then we got to know what not to wear, right? And so, and when we do that, we've got to take that piece of clothing and we got to put it in the trash and not in the closet, Unfortunately, sometimes what we do is when we take something off that is sinful in our life that needs to change, we stick it back in the closet. It might be in the back of the closet, but we don't throw it in the trash, okay? And so consequently, when the default position kind of hits us or when temptation hits us, we kind of have a tendency to grab that old sweatshirt and pull it back out and put it back on again. So Paul is saying, look, here's the deal. If you're going to think differently then you've got to start acting differently. And so therefore, if you're going to make a difference, here's what you've got to put off. And so he starts in verse 25 where he says, Therefore, each of you put off falsehood. 
So he starts there. He says, we, if we're going to think differently, we're supposed to what? Be thinking in truth. And the truth is going to set us free. And so, in other words, then you need to traffic in truth. You need to speak the truth to your neighbor and to people around you. It must be done in love, as you remember. But nonetheless, we are to speak truth. That's critical. And the reason why we don't speak truth, I began to ask that question in my own life and say, why, why are people deceitful? Why do people have a tendency to lie? Why do people have a tendency to exaggerate? And it's really all about our ego. It's about protecting ourselves, right? And so people won't think bad of us when we do something. And so we deliberately try to deceive people into, into believing that we're better than we really are. And so consequently, there's this ego problem when it comes to being truthful. Secondly, he says, I want you to put off anger. And this was fascinating because he says, you know, um, as you read it, it says, do not let the sun go down in your anger. And he said, in your anger, do not sin. So we also know that anger is justifiable in certain circumstances. And so is an unrighteous anger is not justifiable. But nonetheless, either one, we need to not let the sun go down in that. We need to not let the sun go down in our anger. Why? Because he said, you will give the devil a foothold. That is a strong statement, folks. What does that really mean? Well, I, what I think here, what he's saying as I've studied this, it's like we have the Holy Spirit inside us, right? And it says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. However, the Holy Spirit does not impose his will upon our will, right? He's not trying to dominate us. He's trying to motivate us. He's trying to encourage us. He's trying to convict us, but he doesn't dominate us. What does Satan want to do? Satan wants to control. He wants to dominate us. He wants to oversee us. And so consequently, when we allow anger to go down every night, night after night, or perhaps any particular sin that is a grievous sin that goes on and on and on, we're giving Satan power over the Holy Spirit at that point in our lives. Does that make sense? So we're grieving the Holy Spirit. We're, 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 we're quenching the Holy Spirit by allowing Satan to have this foothold or this stronghold in our life. And so a lot of times, especially anger that's even justifiable, we'll hold on to it for a long period of time, day in and day out, thinking, I'm, I'm righteously feeling this because I was hurt. And so I hold this person hostage to my anger when in reality we're holding ourselves hostage and who else? The Holy Spirit. You get it? That's a hard place to be. And consequently, we think that, that, that we can allow these things to kind of fester. You remember I shared a little of my own testimony a couple of weeks ago where I said unforgiveness was a part of my life that was leaking for a long period of time, where I had been wounded period, over and over and over with sheep bites, if you remember my story, and consequently over years of time, not dealing with it in a, in a godly way of actually recognizing that I was to forgive and I was to move on, I allowed that anger to go inward in my life until it just kind of exploded one day, thinking that I was being spiritual about burying that and sweeping it under the rug. So the point being here, and I think that the, the principle is there, that if we let the sun go down in our anger or any kind of issue in our lives that continually plagues us over and over and over again, we are giving Satan a foothold in our life that's a very dangerous place to be. So he says, put off anger, because what it does yield, and he goes on to talk about it in verse 31, is oftentimes bitterness, rage, brawling, slander, malice, sometimes it's obscenities, 
All those things are a result of unresolved anger where we're giving Satan a foothold and it's just always manifests itself in some of these areas. So how do we put it off? According to what he says at the end of that verse 32, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. See, if we don't understand what Christ did for us on the cross, then it's a lot harder for us to forgive somebody else, right? And yet Christ was perfect. And so when we look at Christ and he's on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We've got to realize that in his perfection, he said that. In our imperfection, who are we to not forgive? So forgiveness is a critical component. So we're going to put off anger and falsehood. We put on truth and we put on what? Forgiveness. Make sense? So here's the third point that he makes. He says, put off stealing. And if you look that word up, it means taking from another his rightful due. And that can look like a lot of different things because some of you say, well, I'm not a thief. Well, let's kind of dig in a little deeper there and say, uh, have you reported everything on your taxes? Um, are you putting in an honest day's work for an honest day's pay? I mean, if you're not putting in an honest day's work, are you really cheating? Are you really stealing time and productivity from your boss? Is it maybe overcharging for a service? I remember just a few months ago, we had a a problem with our furnace and uh, there was an inducer that went bad and we had a company come out and then they came to me at the front door and said, yeah, you have a bad inducer. We need to fix that. It's going to cost you $750. And I thought, wow, that seems really high. That seems really expensive. He says, oh, well, I'll give you a 10% discount. I thought, well, that's nice of you, but um, I may get a second opinion. He says, well, let me know because I'm going to order the part. So I, I, I called and I went online to see what an inducer costs for a furnace. And he was almost quoting me a price for a new furnace. And so I'm thinking something's wrong here. And uh, an inducer was only like 100 bucks online. I'm thinking, wow, that means $650 of labor? Are you kidding? So anyways, I called him back and he said, you know what? He said, uh, since I'm going to get a second opinion, he said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, I'll reduce it another 20%. Then I began to think, what's this guy trying to do to me? And then, uh, then I said, well, you know what? I'm still going to go ahead. He said, well, I already ordered the part. And I said, well, if I have to pay for the part, that's okay. But I'm still going to get a second opinion. Well, he called me back. He said, I just talked to my boss and I reduced it at our own cost. And I'm beginning to think, this guy, was because he was working on a commission basis, was overcharging me to pad his own pocket. He was stealing from me. He really was. So overcharging for a service, you know, if you're working on commission, it's a temptation to do that, to, uh, to say things maybe perhaps that aren't totally true or to, and, and so on. And hence we're sort of stealing from somebody else. How about cheating on a test? You know, the, the, the cheating that's going on in the high schools and colleges today is just unbelievable, especially with the event, advent of the internet. I mean, it's just amazing what kids are grabbing and it's like they're not even uh, studying their own material or they're not sending in their own material. They're just swiping from somebody else to get through school and that's stealing, not paying your bills. I mean, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of different ways, I guess, that we can think about stealing. So I just want to share that. And, and rather he's saying, get a good job, work hard and be generous to other people. That's where we need to be. That's what we need to put on. Really, all these symptoms of stealing is really about our own greediness. That's really what it is about. It's just that I want more for me. That's what it really boils down to. 
Well, now he goes on to verse 29 and he starts, he deals with another issue that we talked about a few months ago when we were talking about the tongue. But he's saying, I want you to put off unwholesome talk. This is a hard one for a lot of us because the scripture says that no man can tame the tongue. You know, there's no way that I can, I can sometimes, you know, I just, I let it rip. And it might be slander, it might be gossip, it might be name calling, it might be obscenities, it might be sarcasm. I don't know what it looks like, but he's saying, if we're going to be different to make a difference, then we got to figure out how things that come out of our mouth are much more edifying for the listener rather than degrading and and, and really modeling this lack of, of, of difference in our lives. So he's saying, put off unwholesome talk. Then I I go to chapter 5, and I didn't read chapter 5, but if you go into chapter 5, Paul continues in the same vein, and he talks about being, but among you, or I'm sorry, verse 1, he says, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. So he's saying, here's, I want you to put on love, and I want you to put on truth, but he says, here's one more thing that I really think you need to deal with. He says, but among you, there must not be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. So he goes on to talk a little bit more specifically about the way we have unwholesome things come out of our mouth. But one of the things that he emphasizes here is that there shouldn't be a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. Now, we live in a culture, in a society where sexual immorality is rampant. I know in my own life, just in the last month, I've had four pastors fall to immorality. I mean, this is a sad commentary in our society where we've allowed the things that have gone on in the media, on the internet, on the computers, and on our televisions to really infiltrate us and cause us to lust and causing people to commit adultery. Premarital sex is rampant, living together, pornography. All these things are sensual issues that he says there shouldn't even be a hint of that in the church. Not even a whisper. And yet it seems to be a problem and almost an epidemic in the Christian community. I think it was, I read a statistic not too long ago, the 60 some percent of men are into pornography in the church and 40% of pastors. I mean, it's a problem. And he's saying, no, there should be something different about us. And whatever it takes, we need to deal with it in our lives. We need to stick that piece of clothing in the trash and not open it ever again. So as I look at this particular passage, I see a society that's completely lost our moorings when it comes to truth and agape love. And in chapter 1, he talks about putting on, or chapter 5, he talks about putting on holiness and righteousness and be imitators of God. Because really what Paul is talking about, he's saying, I want you to be holy as I am holy. That's really where he's going with this. There should be something different about you, and it's called holiness. Now, sometimes we look at holiness as being sort of stodginess, right? It's like, oh, you're holier than thou. But listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He said, how little people know who think holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it's irresistible. It's irresistible. Wow. Wow. I read it again. How little people know who think holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. That's being different to make a difference. Now, let me just ask you some questions. 
as I always do, and as I close here, it might be a little long closing, but we're going to go there. Here's the first one. How has your thinking changed about life since you became a Christian? How has your thinking changed? What's different? You know, it's fascinating to me how ignorant we are of this book. And we kind of pride ourselves as evangelicals that we are, have this biblical worldview. But unfortunately, what's happened in our society is we have a whole ton of what I call cultural Christians. People who have allowed culture to bombard them far more than they get into the Word of God. And so the culture just keeps slamming, slamming stuff down our throats day in and day out. And it sort of waters down what we really know and believe about this book. And consequently, we've got a whole bunch of cultural Christians running around who are, are living this life that seems to have virtually no uniqueness to it. And it just kind of blends in with the culture. And then we wonder why we're not making a difference. So how has your thinking really changed since you become a Christian? What's been really different the way you think? Here's the second question. What is the basis for discerning truth in your life? I've recently talked to a couple of people about the Lord. One was a deputy, another one was a lady who has been sort of an agnostic atheist for a long time. And what's really interesting, when you talk to them about the Bible... It's like, oh, well, you know, the one guy told me here a few weeks ago, he said, well, the Bible's just really confusing. And my first question was, have you read it? <laughs> well, you know, um, I, he's not read the Bible. He says, there's just things, a lot of things that are confusing about that. Well, you know, it, you know, the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. And, and I said to him, I said, you know, I said, it, there's a lot of things maybe I don't completely understand about the Bible, but I'll tell you, if, if you just grasp the stuff that you can't understand, it's life-changing. It makes a difference. And so I went after him a little bit, and, 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 uh, and then uh, this lady said the same thing. She said, you know, I, I, think, I think I'm going to go to a different kind of a church because I don't, you know, the Bible is just written by a bunch of men, you know, and, and so I can't really believe what the Bible is really saying. And so consequently, when you have that attitude, there is no fundamental basis for absolute truth in your life. And so you're tossed by every wind of doctrine and you're so susceptible to whatever anybody's whims and ideas are. And you go back to the foolishness of your own thinking. So either this book is for real and this book is absolute truth or not. And so we've got to be able to come from a biblical worldview in our lives, not a cultural worldview. There are too many cultural Christians in our culture today not using the Bible, the Word of God, is really discerning what's really true. And we've allowed culture to influence us so much that we've watered down what our belief system really is. Thirdly, how has the culture influenced you? Has it been a negative thing or a positive thing? Where have you found yourselves more compromised than you were five years ago? Or, or how has culture really infiltrated your life and how has it infected or affected you both positive and negatively? Here's the fourth question. What piece of clothing in your life seems to keep coming out of the closet? You know, we all wrestle with sin issues in our lives that are often unique to us. We learned about that again a couple of weeks ago when I did the whole drains and fills. You know, we're all uniquely created differently, and we all struggle with certain things, right? And what's fascinating to us 
or to me, is, is how hard it is for us to overcome those habitual sins. And sometimes I wonder if what we do is that we say, I'm sorry, and we confess that sin, but we, we, instead of throwing the piece of clothing away, we stick it to the back of our closet. And so when, when, when the temptation comes, our default mode is to go grab that ugly sweatshirt and put it back on. And then we put it back on and we feel so bad about it that we go back and we take the sweatshirt off again and we confess it again. We say, God, I'm sorry. I really messed up again. And at some point, we need to see some improvement or growth in that area. And I'm wondering if for some of us, at least, what happens is, is we say, I'm sorry, but in the back of our minds thinking, yeah, you know, I've just been a victim on this. I just don't know what to do about it. I just, and we, we've become a victim of our own sin and Satan loves that. He puts that in our place so that we feel so defeated. And so we, instead of throwing it and trashing it, we stick it back in the closet because we know we're probably going to mess up again and thank God he's forgiving. And so I go back and I get into this recycling of, of, of confession forgiveness, but we never really get victory over it. And I'm wondering if our approach is wrong at some point, where instead of approaching it from an offensive way, we get defensive. And so when that temptation comes, we need to fire truth at it, because if we're supposed to be men and women of truth, like we just discussed, then we need to be, have a truth encounter with, that, with that, that issue in our lives. And when that truth hits that, it, and we do that right up front, it will hopefully deflect that, and we can make sure that that silly sweatshirt stays in the trash can. Does that make sense? Because oftentimes what Satan loves to do is get us into this victimization mentality. And we just feel like, oh, I'm never going to get victory over this. I'm never going to have, a, I'm never going to have a, a, a winner here. I just feel so defeated. When in reality, I'm wondering if we're not approaching it right. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in chapter 6 when we talk about the armor of God. But we need to realize that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And sometimes I wonder if, too, if maybe possibly we have not truly repented of that and really dealt with it in a way like Paul talks about. Otherwise, if your arm or what where Christ talked about, if your arm offends you or your hand offends you, cut it off. Do some surgery. Do some radical surgery. And I know there's some things that are more addicting and more addictive than other things, but I think what we're really trying to get to this morning is Paul says, look, if we're going to be different and we're going to make a difference, then we've got to figure out how to get some of this stuff out of the closet and into the trash. Does that make sense? That's what he's really trying to say. And so this morning, my challenge to you and to me is, what is that piece of clothing in your life that's either been identified this morning or something else that hasn't been talked about that you've been dealing with for a long period of time and you've let the sun go down on it and now it's a part of a foothold in your life that that, that Satan has really got a grip on and it's time for you not only to confess it but it's time to really confront it with truth and get Satan's out of there in your life. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to do that. I'm going to ask you that as, as I close, as you think about this, and as Jamie sings this last song, if God is really speaking to you about some issue in your life, some piece of clothing that you say, you know what, I, have, I, I, you know, I know it's in, it's in the back. I, it, for me, it's, it's pornography. You know, I just cannot, I just can't seem to get a handle on it. 
Well, maybe it's time to, to, to get rid of the computer. Maybe it's time to put more, you know, all those things that, that have to be sometimes radically done in order for you to get some victory over some of these things. Maybe it's more accountability. Maybe it's coming to the Lord and saying, God, bring somebody into my life to hold me accountable. I, I don't know what it looks like, but if we're going to make a difference, we got to start with our own holiness. Amen? we got to start with us being different. And I feel like that we have, as Christians, have really not done that. And it's really cost us in terms of our influence and our culture today. Because frankly, we're not really a whole lot different oftentimes than the world that we see around us. And Paul's saying, look guys, that's the way you were. Let's get with the program. Let's put it on. Love and truth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this particular passage where Paul does such a great job of comparing and contrasting the way we were and the way we are. But this morning, Lord, I feel compelled to really encourage this group of folks that are sitting in front of me to maybe shed a piece of clothing that's been plaguing them for a long time. That dirty old sweatshirt that keeps coming back and biting them over and over and over again. God, I know it's a battle and I know it's tough. But I pray that today would be a day to, be, to go on the offensive and say, Satan, I don't want anything more to do with you. I know it's been a foothold in my life and I command to leave you in the name of Jesus Christ to leave me alone and allow the Holy Spirit to reign supreme in my life, in that area of my life. If that's you this morning, if that's what God's saying to you, there were a number of folks first hour, would you be vulnerable enough to just come and kneel before God? Nobody's going to bug you. But to be able to say, Lord, I'm tired of being a victim here. I, I want to take the offensive. I want to know truth. I want to confront these temptations with truth in the future. I don't want to be a victim anymore. If that's the story of your life this morning, man, what a great morning to, to really make a difference. I pray, Lord, that this church would be a church of irresistible holiness. God, we have a responsibility in this town called Prescott and the greater Prescott area to make a difference. It's our Jerusalem. And God, I, I want to make a difference. And I just pray that my holiness is irresistible. And I pray, God, for each one that person is sitting here, that, God, we have been called out to make a difference in the lives of people that we rub shoulders with every day. And so, God, may we manifest that kind of holiness again that makes a real difference in the life of somebody else. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.